Welcome to Midtown West. I'm Matt, pastor here. Uh, if you are just joining us, we are, we're in our second week of our sermon series called Apprenticing the Master. You saw the slide in the rotation of slides. Um, and this series is, is basically this, is that we are disciples of Jesus. There's, there's been this separation of uh, to be a Christian, to be a disciple, and to be a disciple maybe feels like something extra or the next level. But really, in Scripture, the word Christian is only used a couple times, and the word disciple is used a lot. And, and to, be a, to be in Christ, to be someone who is saved by Jesus the Savior is, is inseparable from being someone who is mastered by Jesus the Master and someone who is following Jesus with their life. And the word apprentice, I uh, feel like is probably the, the best translation into a concept that we're familiar with. We talked last week in the, the intro of what, what is it even to be a disciple, to be an apprentice of Jesus. And you talked about so many different places where we experience apprenticeship in today's culture as people are learning certain trades, learning certain arts. Someone apprentices a master, they spend time with them, they're tied to them, they spend hours and hours with them, they study their every move, they study the way that they speak, the way that they think, the way that they do, and then they follow them, they copy them, they, they put it into practice. It's, it's learning for the sake of obedience. It's not just learning for the sake of, oh, that's interesting. And so um, I will just say for, I, I know for us, but also for me personally, like this is a much needed and much welcome sermon series because as I begin to get my head into this stuff to prepare for this series, I realized there's a lot of ways in which I've just kind of slid into autopilot, just going through the motions. And there's a lot of ways when I was, you know, in this stuff last week, realize, oh, I, my life in many, many ways does not really reflect that I'm a disciple of Jesus. Um, my life is, there's a lot of things that I do that are Jesus-related or <laughs> Jesus-adjacent, but that I am actually still my own master in so many ways. And so my prayer for us as we, we move through this summer is that the Holy Spirit would come and just renew a, a desire and an ability to, to really follow him and to be his disciple. So uh, last week we talked about this concept of, of being a disciple of Jesus, being an apprentice of Jesus, but now Jesus is no longer in the flesh. And so what do we do? Well, one of the primary forms that that, that following him takes now is to be in scripture. And it's, it's to be in scripture in a certain way. Um, Jesus and scripture are both called the word of God. So, so what does that mean? Um, I was thinking this week about this, and it's like if, you know, throw out, like, what, what do you think is the greatest literary work of all time? Okay, that's a great answer, man. Somebody make sure we get his points recorded. Uh, <laughs> he's an elder. The Hobbit? Okay, that's interesting you didn't say Lord of the Rings, but that's okay, we'll talk later. What else? Harry Potter, great. What else? To Kill a Mockingbird. To kill a mockingbird. The, Odyssey. the Odyssey. Okay. So these are great examples. It'd be like, it, like what we're experiencing as followers of Jesus is a little bit like someone wrote a, you know, a great literary work that is, is captivating. It's this whole other world. Um, and we, we are deeply touched by it. We're, we deeply love it. You know, for me, that probably would be Lord of the Rings. Um, but it's like, it's as if, you know, you're studying this work 
and you're in this work and you're getting the ins and outs of this work and then all of a sudden, the author shows up in the flesh and the author begins to tell you all the details behind all the details and begins to tell you the heart behind what he's writing and the meaning behind what he's writing. And then he's, he spends time with you and you get to know him. And then, uh, and then this author not only does that, but um, he leaves this place only to come and, and become a part of you and to become inseparable with you and to dwell in you. And then your thoughts become his thoughts, his thoughts become your thoughts. And there's this, this story that you're so captivated by um, is actually true. And you're actually becoming a part of this story. It's this layer of reality that you can't readily see without the author's help. And then he is dwelling in you and leading you deeper into becoming a part of the story. And so that's, that's a little bit what our life is like as Christians now, as, as apprentices of Jesus now, uh, in, the, in the, the interplay between Scripture as the Word of God and Jesus as the Word of God. So a, a few thoughts on what does this mean? How do we hold Jesus and Scripture being the Word of God? John 1.18 says uh, that Jesus has made God the Father known. There's this invisible God who's created everything, and Jesus has come and put on flesh and made God known in deep ways that he was not able to be known before. He's revealed himself through his word, through the scriptures of the Old Testament. He's told us what he's like. He's even appeared to people and people have had experiences with him. And then he's given us his will, his law, his revealed will to show us what he thinks is good and how we're called to live and how he structured this world to work. So we know about him. We know what he's like. We know what he's doing, what, he's, what he cares about, what he loves, what he hates, all that stuff. But then Jesus comes in and is the word personified. He is, he is this invisible God in flesh so that we can experience him and know him in ways that we've never been able to do that before. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 talks about how Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. Matthew 5, 17 and 18 said that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. In the Old Testament, we have all this sacrificial law to take away the sins of God's people. There's all these sacrifices. You've got to have all this shed blood. All of this is pointing forward to Jesus. He is the fulfillment of that law. But he's also the fulfillment of God's moral law, like the Ten Commandments. The way that God has called people to live, Jesus is the perfect sinless embodiment of the way that God has called people to live and the life of God and the love of God. Acts 10, 43 says that all prophets bear witness to Jesus. And then beyond that, John 5, 39, Jesus says, all of scripture bears witness about me. So there's this way in which the word of God as scripture reveals the word of God that is Jesus. And then Jesus, as the word of God, reveals the word of God that is scripture. When he came and had his ministry in the flesh, he unpacked scripture and explained how, like, how it all fit together and how it all made sense and all of it is about him. And so it's this, the word of God revealing the word of God in both directions. And so now we, we don't just have the word of God in the scriptures, including the, the New Testament where we have the word of, of God that includes people interacting with Jesus and we get to see God with, with skin on and read the accounts of that. It's, it, I mean, that's amazing in and of itself that we have God's revealed will in scripture. Anything that he has spoken in his word is his word forever. It, it never changes. 
And so not only do we have the scriptures and then we have the New Testament scriptures that show like this is Jesus, this is God, this is how he walked, how he talked, how he interacted with people. It's still not just this separated book, but it's this interactive personal experience because of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 12 through 15 talks about how the spirit of the very spirit of Jesus Christ now dwells in all of God's people. And this spirit of Christ is also called the spirit of truth. And it's also, he's also called uh, the helper and he's also called the teacher. And he says, when you, when, when I go from here, he tells his disciples, you are going to have the helper come and he's going to dwell in you. And he will teach you all the things you need to know. He will bring to mind all the things that I've taught you. He will remind you of what I've said. He will interpret what I've said. And he will glorify me because it's all about me. He's going to be pointing through scripture to me so that we'll have this living, breathing relationship through the Holy Spirit and through the scriptures. And Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So there's also this sense in which the word of God is living and active and, and we don't necessarily read it as much as it reads us as he reads us through the word, as he meets with us through his Holy Spirit, through scripture, we have this encounter with Jesus. And so where we're going today, I'll go ahead and call Caroline up to read our, our scripture passage. As she's coming up here, um, I think if you've been following Jesus, if you've been apprenticing Jesus for any amount of time, you, you've been uh, led into how important scripture is um, that it's, it's very important to be a part of our life in, in this regular rhythms of our daily lives and, and weekly corporate worship. That's why we preach the word. That's why we teach the word. That's why we study the word on our own. But what, what we need to know today, I, I think the, the number one thing that we need to think about today is there, there are two different ways in which we can come to the word of God in the scriptures. And, and how we come to the word of God makes all the difference in whether this is actually a part of me being an apprentice of Jesus, or this is actually a part of my own program for my life where I'm still in control. So we're going to be in, in Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 38 to 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we come to your word, and we want to do the thing that we're talking about, Lord. We want to come to your word, 
in a way that allows you to speak to us and we can hear you. It's not, it's not us reading the words and deciding what to do with them. It's, it's us being open and attentive to you and you speaking to us and changing us, um, enabling us to obey you, enabling us to love you more, enabling us to live the life that you've created us to live and to live in the relationship with you that you have bought and created us for. And so, Father, we ask now that you would, uh, through your Holy Spirit, open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts to you through this word and through the, the word preached, Lord. Let this just be um, all from you. Anything that is not of you, let it fall down flat. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as we go through this text, um, I, I want us to just look at the angle, look at this text from one angle, and that is seeing these two sisters as two different ways that we can approach God when we come to him in scripture. Two different ways that we can approach coming to Jesus in the scriptures, uh, one enabling us to be his apprentices, one um, maybe even preventing that. So, so first we have, this is just Jesus moving uh, on his ministry journey. He's, he's moving through a town and there's a woman named Martha that welcomes Jesus into her house. And when when she welcomes Jesus into her house, when we welcome Jesus into our lives, we have to be very careful about how we do that. What do I mean by that? There's two ways that someone can be a guest in your house and you can welcome someone into your house. Martha could welcome Jesus into her house to where she's still in control. That this is, this is all on, on Martha's turf and she's doing Jesus a favor and she's going to extend to him the social graces and the hospitality that is requisite, that is appropriate. She's going to be kind to him. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's still her turf. It's her house. It's her plan. Um, as the hostess, well, I thought we would do this. I thought maybe we would do this and then we would go do that. In which, you know, Jesus in some way becomes indebted to her a little bit because um, he's in her house. But then there's another way to welcome Jesus into your house where when you go to the door and you realize who it is, you are just in awe. And you can't believe that this person would show up at your house wanting to spend time with you, desiring to be with you. And in that sense... You come in deep humility and gratitude, offering your home and your service and your whole person for whatever they want to do with it. Like, I cannot believe that you're here. I am available. You tell me what you need. You tell me what you want from me. You tell me what you want to tell me. You know, it, it, it's the, the first welcome is full of angling and manipulation and desire for control. We're, we're going to you know, speak the language, but at the end of the day, I'm still at the switchboard kind of running things, deciding how I want things to go. And the second is uh, this week in our pastor's meeting, we were asked to think about, um, there's a, a scripture in Revelation that says, you know, you've, you've forgotten your first love. And so as an exercise, we were sharing about how we, felt when we first met our wives. And some of the things that came out of me and, and all of us from that was like, you know, there's, 
this time where it's like, I cannot believe this person even wants to spend time with me. I can't believe Lee even wants to spend time with me. And literally, like, if, if I had gotten my fingers cut off, I would have been like, you know what, that's really bad, but, like, she still wants to go on a date, so we're good. You know, there's this way in which, like, your whole life is oriented toward this one who you love, and, and it really doesn't matter what else is going on. And that's the difference between these two kind of welcomes and the ways that we welcome Jesus into our lives, the way that we spend time and approach Jesus as we approach the scriptures to spend time with him is either it's, it's, you know, we're doing him a favor because he likes it when we meet with him and makes him feel important. And so uh, it also makes me a good boy. And so I'm going to go and check my box and do my requisite scripture reading for the day, maybe if I can fit it in. Or this other way of, of coming to him and welcoming him where it's like, I'm in awe that this is even happening. That the God of the universe would come and meet with me and he would create a way in which we could meet together and have this intimate fellowship and just being available. And you know, thinking about this, this week, um, it has radically renewed and transformed the way that I have been meeting with God this week because I realize how easy it is and how I have slid in so many ways into the first way of welcoming Jesus and the first way of, of approaching him in scripture. And, and thank God by his grace, um, he's been renewing this in me uh, over the last few days and, and approaching this differently and it's made all the difference. It's made all the difference. So we see Martha, she, she welcomes Jesus. We're about to find out what kind of welcome um, she has for Jesus. But then it talks about her sister. She has a sister named Mary. And, and the description of Mary is that Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So there's this, you know, like we just talked about, there's this, in, in Mary's approach, there's, she's coming to him, she's sitting before him, she's just attentive. She's attentive to him and she's attending to him. She's ready to receive whatever he has for her. She is not in the driver's seat. She is happily welcoming whatever he has for her. It's this desire, it's humility, it's awe, it's, it's a readiness for obedience She's not adding anything, she's just receiving. She's sitting at his feet and, and listening. She's open to him. And then we have this, this juxtaposition, verse 40, but Martha. So juxtaposed to this picture of Mary attending to Jesus and listening to him and, and able to receive from him, we have Martha is in a different place. It says, but Martha was distracted with dot, dot, dot. But Matt was distracted with. Jesus is here. We're in the same house. I've even welcomed Jesus into this house. But Matt was distracted. But Matt never really met with Jesus because he was distracted Matt was never really sitting at Jesus' feet. They were in very close proximity, but there was not a connection. There was not a fellowship. There was not communion because Matt was distracted with dot, dot, dot. It says Martha was distracted with much serving. 
Um, Martha cannot hear from Jesus because she was distracted. That word for distracted is, I mean, it's like what it means for us now. It's to be drawn off from around. That's a lot of prepositions. It's to be, <laughs> if you're around this thing, it's to be drawn off so that you're not around it anymore. So mentally, emotionally, spiritually, like physically, we're still really close to Jesus in this room. But, but now my mind and my heart have been captivated by other things and it's drawn me off and away from him and I might as well be miles away from him. It is impossible to apprentice Jesus in this state. And what was, what was she distracted by? She was distracted by much serving. So think about this. Inappropriate amounts of timing and ways of serving Jesus. And I want to just camp out here for a second. She was focused on Jesus in some ways, but she was miles away from Jesus. She was with him, but she was distracted by all these other things with what? With much serving. Who's she serving? Jesus. Her, Her serving Jesus is preventing her from being with Jesus. And so just a couple things that came to mind for for me, for us, thinking about this, is one, you know, actual serving, activity. Um, There are some of us who, hearing this sermon today, will be convicted by the Holy Spirit to spend less time doing Christian things because we're doing too much, and it's burning us out, and the too much that we're doing is good, like, Objectively, it's good, but it's not good for us because it didn't come from Jesus. It's not the fruit of my sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to what he has for me. It's the fruit of my, my own religious program for self-improvement. It's how I think I make myself a good guy and do the right thing and on and on and on. And so some of us, when the Holy Spirit moves through today, you're going to put some things down. And it's also this idea that um, Eugene Peterson talks about this consumerism in religion. It's, man, I'm filling myself. I'm filling my ears and I'm filling my brain and I'm filling my eyes with words, 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 teaching, 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 sermon, sermon, sermon. I'm reading books. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm watching videos. I'm listening to multiple sermons. I mean, guys, when you're here, you don't need any other sermon. But seriously, we, seriously, we, no, 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 I'm kidding. Um, but also like in, just in scripture, in the way that we read scripture, we'll just like sit down and read chapters and chapters of scripture, like, or we'll read in 50 different places, but it's like, y'all, we don't have the capacity for that. And we are doing all of this just anxious obsessive ways of filling ourselves with spiritual information that we're not hearing from Jesus at all. I'm, I'm just behind the control boards, just moving everything. Oh, I need, a, I need more of this. I need more of that. And it's just me talking to myself. I can be reading incredible things, including scripture, but I'm the only one. I'm the only voice because I have not sat and put myself in these still, quiet, extended places and, and 
bitten off a small enough bite where I'm not choking to death to let Jesus speak to me through his word. I'm distracted with much consuming of religious things. And when we think we're meeting with Jesus, oftentimes we're doing some version of what we just talked about. We're not really attending to him or learning from him for the purposes of obedience and worship. We're doing something else for some other purpose, but we're just in the same room with him. Eugene Peterson says this, and this is, this is I think this may be the most important thing of, of this whole sermon, this whole concept of listening and reading are not the same thing, he says. The differences are significant and have profound consequences. Unlike reading, listening is an interpersonal act. The listener is required to be attentive to the speaker and is more or less at the speaker's mercy. Like if Jesus were, were in the flesh teaching you, he would know whether you're paying attention and you wouldn't be in control of, of when he was done teaching. For the reader, it is quite different since the book is at the reader's mercy. It may be carried around from place to place, opened and shut on a whim, read or not read. In reading, I initiate the process. In listening, someone else initiates the process. In listening, the speaker is in charge. In reading, the reader is in charge. So it is, it is a gift from God that we have scripture in, in affordable ways that we can all have a copy, but it is also really dangerous. It is really dangerous because it's too easy to approach scripture in a casual way where I am in control. And Martha's distraction changes the way that she lives, changes the way that she thinks about Jesus. It changes the way that she relates to Jesus. Listen to this. But it says in verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And in her distraction, she went to Jesus as he was teaching and said this, Lord, okay, that's good. It's a good start. You're Lord, I'm not. We'll see how, see how shallow this is. Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Then tell her to help me. Okay, yeah, those are pretty thin, Lord, at the front end of that statement. Lord, do you not care? Here's, here's what she's saying. I know what's right, and I know what needs to be done, and you're here to do it. So I'm in charge. I'm going to walk up to you in the middle of you teaching, by the way, because this is my house, right? I welcomed you into my house so I can do this. Lord, something that is not right is happening, and I'm demanding that you fix it. So now do it. So, so who does it sound like is the Lord in that situation. It's not Jesus. And that is so often how I come to scripture and how I come to my relationship with the Lord is I am so close to anything that he might want to say to me that doesn't have to do with what I already want to talk about. And so many times when we say God doesn't answer me, 
Why might that be? Because that's not what he wants to talk about at all. And we haven't stopped and submitted ourselves enough to even allow that thought to sink in. That you're actually Lord and you may not wanting, be wanting to help me with this at all because this may not be good for me. And I'm not submitting to you at all. So she is literally now doing the opposite of what Mary is doing. She's going to tell Jesus instead of listen to Jesus. Hey, I'll, I'll come and listen in a minute, but first I need you to do this for me. And then we see our Lord, who is so patient, who is so kind, who is so loving, who is so compassionate. But the Lord answered her. And I love this. The Lord doesn't answer her request. No, we're not going to talk about that because you're not Lord. I am. He answered her with something completely different. Martha, Martha. And I think he says her name twice to slow things down. You are so spun up. You're so in a hurry. It is impossible for you to hear anything from me. We need to just slow it down. Be quiet for just a minute. You are anxious and troubled about many things. You are in a state of anxiety in general, and you are troubled about many different specific things. And if we spent time here, we could all name many things that we are troubled about. And he says, but one thing is necessary. He doesn't say, this is really important or we're going to lose all of this. He doesn't say that those other things aren't important. If we think he says that, then, we, then when we find something that we think is really important, then all this goes out the window. He doesn't say that all those things you're troubled by are unimportant. He says your approach to them is inappropriate because one thing is necessary. It's how you hold those things in relationship to you being my apprentice. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about anxiety and he says, don't be like those who don't know God. Like you're going to have troubles just like they are, but you have a father in heaven who loves you. You have a master who you are apprenticing. So yes, these things are important. Yes, these things are painful. Yes, these things are issues, but bring them to me. And let, let them sit in this order that I have them in for you. Don't try to figure them out on your own. Don't try to come to me and make me figure them out in the way that you want them figured out. Bring them to me and then put them down and be attentive. And let me speak back to you. The one necessary thing is this union, is this relationship. It's a really important distinction because we can go through all the motions and do many things and not be a disciple of Jesus at all because our anxious and troubled minds reveal that we do not know or experience him as our Lord and we are not being transformed by his lordship in his presence. This one necessary thing that Jesus talks about, it's what he says in John 14, 6. I am the way to the Father. 
I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The thing that we were made for is union with God. And Jesus is saying, apart from me, you, that union is impossible. I am the way to the Father. So follow me on the way. It is, yes, it's a one-time like coming to faith, but it, it certainly does not end there. It is come follow me on the way to the Father. It is, I am your Savior, but I'm also your Lord and your Shepherd, and I'm leading you on the way to the Father. I am the truth, and I am the life. And there is no life apart from Jesus. There is no life apart from being in right relationship with him, which is being his apprentice, which is letting him teach us and lead us and shepherd us and us receiving and obeying and worshiping him. And he says, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. Y'all, that is encouraging news. Jesus is saying, when you choose to live like this, when you are my apprentice and you let me be your master and you bring all of this to me, and the one thing that you're worried about is the one necessary thing, which is me and what I say and following me, that will never be taken from you. I'm going to lead you to the Father for eternal life in me forever, and no one can take that away from you. Mary has chosen the good portion and that will not be taken away from her. Here's something really cool. The Lord has chosen us as his good portion. Deuteronomy 32 says this, but the Lord's portion is his people. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him, he cared for him, and he kept him as the apple of his eye. He is choosing us for his portion and we are choosing him for our portion. And he loves us and no one can separate us from him. So as we go from here, as we meet him in his word, how we meet him in his word is very, very important. One, one leads to life, one way does not. Father, we are in constant need of your lordship. Lord, you, you are our shepherd. You are shepherding us to life. And Lord, we confess in our sin, in our distraction, in our anxiety, in our pride, in our unbelief, where we are so easily and so quickly swayed from really being your apprentices and just being around you, being distracted and being in the same room. So Lord, would you come and do whatever is necessary to change our hearts, to change our minds, to change our wills, to want to sit at your feet, to want to create space, to have the, the ability to create space, to let you speak to us in a way that we can hear and obey and treasure. Lord, would you cause us, lead us into reading scripture, meditating on scripture, praying through scripture, having a conversation with you in scripture in such a way that it brings life. It brings transformation. It is not dead. It is not one other activity in a long line of activities that we fill our days with, but it is the one necessary thing that is transforming us and making us new. And we ask you to do this in your power and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... Um,
if you'll throw up the, the prompt, each week this summer we're going to have a, a prompt. Um, you can take a screenshot of this and, uh, and just kind of have it with you. It's also going to go out in the weekly email on Wednesday. But this week, as we think about meditating on the word, we, we really want to, we have a prompt each week this summer because we want to move out of just receiving information into like tangible living. Um, so asking you to, to set aside time in the morning to meet with Jesus. And if you're not already in somewhere in scripture on a regular basis, that you just start in John's gospel, just start at the very beginning. And we're going to do that here together in just a second. Um, this is not reading for information. Um, you know, there is a right way to study scripture, but that's not what really we're called to do every day. Um, really want to be in scripture for this relationship with Jesus. Study is a different kind of being in scripture. Um, but we're just going to try to sit at Jesus' feet, humble and expectant, um, just receiving from him, reading slowly, setting aside time where it's quiet, giving space, and coming also expectantly um, and asking, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you drawing my attention to? And that can be a word, that can be a thought, that can be a concept. But um, write it down and think about how it leads to actual obedience, not just an intellectual understanding. And then try to practice it as you go about your day, whatever it is. So we're going to do that for just a few minutes here together. Um, we'll we'll jumpstart everybody together. So um, if you'll turn to John chapter 1. And let's just start with the first five verses. So we're going to just create some space here. I know it's a little different because we're all sitting here in worship together. But just uh, spend some time in John 1, 1 through 5, and just slowly read through it. Try to read through it like Mary. Ask the Lord to help you do that. Draw your attention to whatever he wants to draw your attention to. And then Jess will call us back together um, for worship in a few minutes. <laughs> 